Welcome, sports fans. You have entered the man cave of the one and only Fan Man, broadcasting from his lazy boy recliner somewhere in the Vale of Paradise known as Valparaiso, Indiana. Sports fans, welcome to the Fan Man Podcast. You can catch the Fan Man Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and most other platforms. And uh, we're back again for part two of our crazy great show where what we do is we take Major League Baseball, by the numbers we call it, and we go through each uniform number from 1 to 60. And give our opinions on who was the best player to wear that particular uniform number. So our first episode that's out there, check it out. It's uh, from, we went from 1 to 30. And now we are going from 31 all the way to 60 tonight. Which player at each number was the best Major League Baseball player to wear that number during their Major League Baseball career? And the greatest of all time to ever wear that number. And to do that again... I've got Chad Lincoln. How you doing, Chad? Doing great, Bill. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I thought our show was a lot of fun, the first half of that. The first half was, and it actually went from 0 to 30. We threw in a, a spoiler there. Yeah, 0 to 30 we went, and it was 0 was uh, O, Al Oliver. He was our uh, uh-huh. person, and then we went from, and I'm not going to give it away. I'm going to make you listen to part one. We're not going to exactly. give, we're not going to give our secrets away in part two, but part two, I think. What do you think? You think part two is going to be more controversial than part one? There might be some that are really controversial just because of the names involved, but compared to part one, this one's going to be a lot more fun. I think so. Yeah, and for for the people listening out there, what is your criteria on picking who is the greatest Major League Baseball player for a given number? What what's your criteria? A lot of it was. Since I was born in 1980, it was from about, I started watching baseball around 1988, 89, so around that era, from like 1980 to now, has been most of my criteria. But if I heard about certain players, or like maybe the later part of their career was coming as I was starting to watch, you know, I'd have some more understanding of what they could do. Or some of the older players, you know, just hearing the stories about them from my, my dad or my grandpa or anybody else that would talk baseball. You know, and just seeing how they played, and even finding video on YouTube of some of them, and getting to watch what they do. Yep, yep. And part of my criteria is not just, um, you know, the name of the player with the jersey, for instance. Like, hypothetically, let's say if, um, you know, Joe DiMaggio wore number nine or something for one year, he's not the greatest number nine. I, I want to see some longevity at that, at that number, and I also want to yeah. see some status as a player in general. So those are the two things that I look at with it. And that's what I did the first round. That's what we're going to do. I'm going to do on mine tonight and a sneak peek. And I think me and you are, you know, we're pretty, pretty close on a lot of these, but we do have some differences and that's what makes this fun. It's also what we'll do is we're going to talk about certain guys that didn't make our list. And then uh, people out there listening, you can say, Hey, what the heck did that guy do? For instance, (laughs) number 31, man, there is a lot of, a lot of good number 31s. Yes, there are. And we, we might as well kick it off because we did one to thir- we did zero to thirty, and now 
We're doing 31 to 60, and this is the show. Let's get it going. Number 31, Chad. Who do you like I at had, number 31? I had a tough choice because I could have picked from any of the three that, I, that I'm looking at here. I had my options were Greg Maddox and Ferguson Jenkins, both great cup players, great cup pitchers, both Hall of Famers. And then I also had Mike Piazza because, you know, as the old saying goes, when the moon hits dry like a big pizza pie, <laughs> it's Mike Piazza. Yeah. Did you but consider Dave Winfield? I thought about that one, but I didn't see enough of his games in his better years yeah. to really really go with him on, on what he could do. Right. Uh, but in the long run, when I came down to my final pick, I went with Fergie just because, you know – a guy that could pitch consistently in the in the era that he was pitching and do it with with teams that weren't all that great, but he still commanded his pitches, his ability, and was a good strength on the field for his team. I just couldn't pass that up. Yeah, I would agree with you. I've got Fergie Jenkins as well, and I think what you're going to see tonight in this particular episode when we look at numbers 31 to 60 there's going to be somewhat of a theme here with 70s, 1970 pitchers. Yes, for sure. Yeah, because those are the guys that went out there and took the ball every four to five days. And uh, there was no sixth inning guy, no seventh inning guy. It was like basically it was Fergie Jenkins versus uh, Tom Seaver. And whoever outlasted each other would usually win the game back then, right? Yes, the pitchers then, were, it was a battle of attrition. Who was yeah. going to be the one to make it last? If you went 11 innings, who was going to make it go 12? Right, that's right. So, you know, process of elimination, Dave Winfield, probably, uh, you know, probably a good pick too. Dave Winfield, many years with San Diego, and then he went over to the New York Yankees, played for the Cleveland Indians. He's a consideration. And, of course, Greg Maddox, you know, Chicago Cubs all those years, uh, pinpoint control right was there anybody better than uh nick in the corners than greg maddox maybe not right in his days with atlanta and the cubs once he he kind of understood that location and locating his pitch with just overall velocity and just throwing 100 mile an hour pitches which i don't think he really ever approached that his ability to pitch around the corners and to fool everybody was amazing to watch especially when he was at those uh decade-long Atlanta Braves teams that would win like crazy. Right. Like he'd, he'd get out on the mound and you knew that that was going to be a game to watch because it was going to be like a work of art. Yep, for sure. And uh, But when it's all said and done, I give it to Fergie Jenkins, three all-star games, the Cy Young. Um, he's in the Hall of Fame. He won the, two times. He was the wins leader. Um, and... You know, just a stalwart there for the Chicago Cubs. And it's kind of a funny deal. He played six years for the Texas Rangers. And he also played for the Boston Red Sox, right? But nobody, mm-hmm. mostly everybody remembers him for those big-time years he had with um, with the Chicago Cubs, number 31. And they had those cool uniforms back then. Got all of his baseball cards. And uh, always, uh, you know, I'm a Mets fan, but I always enjoyed watching Fergie Jenkins pitch and always respected what he could do on the mound. Maybe a poor man's Bob Gibson a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> but not that poor. Not that poor. Well, and maybe even, you could even say maybe the Canadian version of, of Bob Gibson. Yeah. Because Fergie was from Canada, too. Right, so. right. That's right. Um, but the thing with Fergie, too, that was always fun, 
you could watch Fergie pitch, and then a couple hours later, depending on where you're living and how your radio reception was, be able to maybe catch a Tom Seaver or a Nolan Ryan or uh, a Sandy Koufax pitch yeah. later in the day. Yeah. So it's a, your your baseball day was made. Right, right, that's right. Okay, so you're ready to go to number 32. Yeah. All right, 32. I think we're going in different directions here, but uh, both good choices. So, so, Chad, who do you have as the greatest Major League Baseball player to ever wear number 32? I think with this one, I went with the guy who probably had the shortest career of them all. Yeah. But that was Sandy Koufax because of his injuries led to his, his having to retire early. Right. But he was just a dominant left-hander for the era in both Brooklyn and L.A. for the Dodgers with those teams. I mean, you can consistently watch those games, and it's always the same players that from one year to the next with those teams. And it, that helped with Sandy's consistency and his confidence, knowing that he had the same people behind him on the, on the diamond or working to get his wins for him. Right, right. And um, some, you know, you go and, you know, everybody that hasn't had a chance to look at his numbers who's listening to this, go to baseballreference.com and look at the numbers and the seasons of excellence Sandy Koufax had for that short duration of time. Played 12 years. So really, it's not that short. But back in the day, I guess you would consider that short. He did have a lot of arm problems. There's these famous pictures of him right after the game basically having his whole arm, left arm and shoulder in ice after each game. The guy gave it, gave it all he could out there and um, over the years, and I don't like using this saying, and, but for this guy, I'll use it. Great ambassador of the game. I think he still goes to all the Dodgers games. He's, they keep showing him in the stands all the time. So he's a real knowledgeable guy about baseball, real respected guy, and um, you know, I, I, I can't fault you for picking Sandy Koufax. I really can't. Yeah, and one of the things that Koufax has been known for, too, is also spending hours upon hours on the phone with um, with uh, Clayton Kershaw and whoever some of the top pitchers in the Dodgers past 20, 30, yes. 40 have been just to talk baseball with them and let them know like, what they're going to be expect, what's going to be expected of them, what kind of pressures they're going to face, anything like that. And he does not have a problem doing that. It's like the leadership position that is unpaid but does the things that the team needs for for yeah. uh, success. That's right. So my take on this is, I mean, I ended up going with with Lefty. And Lefty, you know, of course, um, Sandy Koufax is a lefty, but the, the nickname Lefty belongs to Steve Carlton. And this was a tough one. I'll tell you, 32 was tough. To some degree, it's like choosing between a ribeye steak or a porterhouse steak. Yeah. You can't go wrong either way. No, you really couldn't. You right. Know, even with some of the other options that were out there, these two stood out the most. Right. You had Roy Halladay out there um, as well. But, yeah, these two guys stood out. But, you know, if you're Steve Carlton, maybe Steve Carlton's saying, hey, I played 23 years. And um, Sandy only p- pitched 12 years. I played 23 years. And... You know, I've got 287 wins. You know, so that that and he pitched a no hitter too. But the 287 wins is something else, and I'm surprised he didn't get to three, the 300. But um, you know, he had great years with the Cardinals. 
And if and he was a one-two punch there with Bob Gibson when he was on the Cardinals. And those were some fantastic Cardinal teams with Tim McCarver was the catcher back then. But uh, Lou Brock was on those teams. Some pretty good teams. And then he goes over to Philadelphia and just, you know, I mean, he was, that's where he got his name lefty. Won a World Series in 1980 with the Philadelphia Phillies. Had a cup of coffee, I suppose, with the White Sox, the Giants, and the Indians. Um, a ton of strikeouts. You know, I, he's right up there in, in all-time leaders in strikeouts. He's got 287 wins. He's got a World Series. And the guy was a great pitcher. So I, I kind of looked at a little bit of the longevity, I think, for me, pushed him over the top. But for those, those years, that group of years that um, if you picked out five of Sandy Koufax's best years, they were better than anybody almost. So... Either way, you can't go wrong. I said, like I said, it was like picking, picking between a porterhouse and a ribeye steak. I love them both, right? You can't go wrong. You can't go wrong. Yeah. So there we go with 30, 32. Now let's go to 33. And we might be on, we might be together on this one. So, Chad, who do you have for 33? With 33, I went with Eddie Murray because he was the ultimate switch hitter and played first base for the Orioles, Dodgers, Mets, Indians, and Ain't only place for him to be. Right. I mean, he could have gone DH in his last few years, and he may have, but you could always count on him at first base. That's right. And the, the great thing about Eddie Murray, he you know, and, and I call him Steady Eddie Murray. That's actually his nickname, but you, that's a great nickname for him because that's exactly what he was. You can almost just take a pen and write in his numbers each season. You know, he was so, when he was on the Orioles, he was like Mr. Consistency. You can just say, okay, it's 1978. This is what he's going to do. And before the 79 season, you can just write down what he's going to do. And he's, and he probably did it. Um, he was so consistent. And again, you know, a switch hitting first baseman, you don't see too many, you don't see too many first basemen who switch hit, huh? Not in those days you didn't. No, no. I mean, it, it was, a, it was, and the guy was a great fielder. You know, he just wasn't a, a a hitter. He was the fielder as well. And um, a steady influence there on those Oriole teams of the late 70s. And, um, you know, and, and he picked up a World Series there when Cal Ripken joined in the early 80s. And, um, you know, always battled the Yankees in some big games too. And again, Dodgers, Mets, Indians, Anaheim. But but he made his he made his bones there, Eddie Murray, playing for uh, the Baltimore Orioles on, on a pretty good team. And he was one of the reasons why they were they were good because you never had to worry about who was at first base. It was always Eddie Murray, and you knew if Eddie Murray was in the lineup, you knew he was going to produce during the course of the season. So kind of a no-brainer, right? Yeah, and it's even in the years when he was with the Indians, because that was right around the good years for them in the 90s. That's right. You could always count on him, even though, yeah, he was getting a little slower, and he was a little heftier, but you still, could still count on him to do the things that he was always known for doing with with the batter, with the glove. That's right, a little DH, but he also played a little first base there. And great leadership. One of the knocks on him was that he didn't talk to the press. And people were like, oh, I don't know if he's going to get in the Hall of Fame because he doesn't talk to the press. But anyway, that, that's, that's, that's a long story. But that, So that was the, thing that, the other thing that people kept talking about Eddie Murray because he didn't talk after the game. I think he got burnt once by a reporter, and then he said, I had enough of this stuff. So... Um, I can't blame. I mean, you know what? I'm not so big on that either. I don't know how much I would have be. I'd be talking to the press every night after a game either. Yeah, but, and especially in some of those years, especially with the Orioles when they started losing games. Yeah. It's like, why do you repeat the same thing? 
Right. It's it's gonna get old to say, well, we just didn't put it together, or so and so had a bad game, or I just didn't get my glove down quick enough, or anything. It's like, how many games in a row do you really need to say that before the press really kind of understands that? Yeah, we get what we did, what we're doing. We know we need to fix it. We're working on it. Right. That's right. Okay, let's take a look at number thirty-four. Chad, well, who? actually, before we do that, some of the thirty-threes that we didn't even touch on. Oh, okay. Let's go through that. Another, another Hall of Famer, or, or, or he's going to be enshrined this year because his enshrinement was supposed to be last year, but didn't happen for COVID reasons. Was Larry Walker? Right. With the Expos, Rockies, and Cardinals. Right. He was my second choice for that position, but with every day Eddie Murray, you had to to stay steady with that. And then we also had Steve Avery, the lefty in that foursome for the Braves during their, right. their decade-long uh, pennant years. You also had Jose Canseco. That's Mr. right, Shiro. Jose Canseco. And you also had the late, great Mike Grant, who we just recently lost this year, in the last few months. Mike Cat Grant? Yep, Mike yep. Cat Grant. Yeah, one of the best <laughs> baseball names there ever was. Yep. Next to Blue Moon and, Odom. Yep. Or Oil Cam Boyd. Right. <laughs> Some great names. Yes, definitely had some great names there. Um, Chad, that might be another show. It could be. Definitely could be. Yeah. Um, And then if we want to move on to 34. Let me touch on Larry Walker. You know, a lot of people were surprised when Larry Walker made the Hall of Fame. But you know what? They probably forgot about him and didn't look in the uh, statistics, the uh, baseball reference stat book. Because when you look at that, you're like, "Wow, what he had some kind of he had some amazing years with OPS is over a thousand. Yeah, and especially in those early years when he was in Colorado and they were still in Mile High Stadium. Yeah, the course field. Yet yeah, he was rocking some pitches out. Right. And he, his his early years when he came up with the Expos and what he was doing there. Oh yeah. The, the, you could tell he was probably going to be a, a Hall of Famer unless he did something really stupid, which he didn't do. So. Right. You know what? That's another, you know, we talk about shows. There's another show, really. All the great baseball players that have started their career with the Montreal Expos. Yes. There are so many now that are that are coming out of the woodwork. Right. Including like Randy Johnson and, you know, we can go yep. on on that. Andre Dawson, the re- you know, so many. Yeah, even Tim Raines, who we mentioned right. in the last show. right. I mean, there's, there's so many names. I think you, Pedro Martinez, too. Yep, Pedro started out with them. Yeah. I mean, you could go through uh, the all-time roster for the Expos and go, he played there? He played yeah. there? Yeah. He played there, too? I have, which is kind of crazy. I was able to pull this off. I have an official jersey, pants, the whole nine yards of Gary Carter's Expo jersey. And, nice. and pants, but unfortunately the pants now don't fit me. I was gonna, I was gonna put something on my uh, my Twitter page with me wearing Gary Carter's uniform. But you know what? When I wear that hat, I go to the store once in a while, wear my Montreal Expos hat. You should see the smiles I get when they see that that iconic Expo logo. Yes, that multicolored M. Yeah, yeah. Everybody that that is a baseball fan of that era looks at that hat and like, wow. That is pretty cool. And I'm like, you know, you can get one today. They're like 25, 26 bucks. It's not like it's some rare, rare thing. But um, they're just, you know, those were cool hats, cool uniforms. And uh, I kind of feel bad that there's no team in Montreal anymore. But we can move on. 
Yeah. I mean, we could be talking about the Montreal Expos in a separate show because there's just so many things about that organization that are memorable. Yeah, especially <laughs> the initial stadium they played in. They played in a place called Jerry Park where they opened up, uh, you know, back, I think it was 1969. Don't quote me, but I think it's 1969. But um, they played in this place called Jerry Park and they had a swimming pool. They had like a community pool out in right field. Yep. So a guy would hit a home run and, and the dude has to, you know, he's sitting in a lawn chair as the home run like hits him in the back and stuff. It's just like stuff that you would never see in this day and age, you know, in baseball. Old, old school stuff, right? Yep. All right. So we'll reminisce some more maybe uh, on a separate show about the Montreal Expo. And oh, one guy. How about <laughs> one last guy? Rusty Staub. The, yeah. gra- the Grand Larange, right? Yep, and I believe we just lost him in the last year or two as well. Yeah, yeah. So. I was always a fan of Rusty Staub, especially when he became a Met. Helped them get to the 1973 World Series, even though they lost to, the, to a great Oakland A's team. But anyway, let's go to number 34, Chad. Who do you have? Greatest number I, 34 of all time. I had to go with the Ryan Express and Nolan Ryan. I mean, yeah. five, over 5,000 strikeouts, 300 wins, <laughs> seven no-hitters. Just He had that that aura about him that was like, don't mess with me because I oh. will get you. Yeah, ask Robin Ventura about that. Yeah, just make sure that when Robin Ventura is around, he has some boxing gloves nearby just in case. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, Nolan just played baseball, and he... He'd have as many walks as he had strikeouts in a game sometimes, or he'd have more walks, but he just went out there and he pitched. Right. I mean, his, his arm might fall off in the middle of a game sometime, but he'd still be out there. He He's one that you relied on to know that if you needed him to go 200 pitches and 12 innings, he'd be there. Unbelievable. He's, it's, like, it's like somebody should study his whole uh, makeup. You know, yeah, he was one of those that his weightlifting idea was like throwing hay. Right. He, he wasn't worried about the weights as much as it was just doing physical work. Yeah, he was a big fan of riding the exercise bike too. Yeah, just keep his legs moving. Right, because he got a lot of strength out of those legs. The other thing about the guy, seven no-hitters. Yep. And one thing about him, he was a hard luck pitcher. He played. He was pitching for a very bad California Angels team in the 70s. And he would get in these games. He'd end up losing some of these games, like one to nothing, um, because they just were just terrible at California. But things got a little bit better on the win side when he went to Houston and some of the time in, in, in Texas there. But um, just unbelievable. All-time leading strikeout guy, 5,714 on the Ks. I don't think anybody's going to break that record. Not in this day and age. I mean, no. most of the pitchers don't make it past the sixth inning. There's absolutely no way that they're going to have enough years to get to 5,000 strikeouts. Yeah. And I always used to like to listen to that grunt after each pitch. Yeah. You know, it, it, it was like these tennis matches, right? I mean, you hear that grunt yeah. after each pitch. <laughs> yeah, like his, his grunt would be about the equivalent of when Monica Sellis would always grunt after she hit the ball in a tennis match. Yeah. Just so much power and uh, just played forever, too. I mean, unbelievable. And... Uh, there's really no competition. His only competition here was with David Ortiz. I would definitely put him in there, but I also kind of had a, a more sentiment also for Kirby Puckett. Yeah. 
in the years he had in Minnesota for teams that may right. not have been the greatest, but you came to enjoy what they did on the field. And with Kirby being their top player then, he just went with it. And, and Kirby Puckett, I mean, there wasn't too many guys that played the game harder than Kirby Puckett. Yeah, and especially on that hard carpet in Minnesota. Right. And remember that bag they used to have out in the outfield wall that was like a baggie? Yeah, they used to call it the happy bag. Yeah, and he used to scale that thing out there in center field. And what a leader. What a great guy to have on your team. Play center field, leads off. And uh, I'll tell you the truth. I mean, he had the you know he had the same makeup as Pete Rose when it comes to enthusiasm and and effort on the field. I mean, he was he was about as good as you can get when it came to all that stuff. Yeah, and just the amount of years more that he probably could have had had he been playing somewhere that had more of a softer field to play on instead of Minnesota, where they were on that hard carpet in the Metrodome. Right. And with David Ortiz, I can't think of anybody that killed the Yankees more than David Ortiz. Exactly. He could have been in the Hall of Fame. I know he's got his problems, you know, with they're not going to let him in. I don't know. But in terms of beating the Yankees, there should be like a special wall in, in Cooperstown. These are the guys that were the, you know, the Yankees won what, 20, how many World Series? I can't remember. 26? 27. 27. They, so yeah. they deserve, there should be a special wall. Of the greatest guys to beat the Yankees, he'd be the first guy, first plaque on the on there. Yeah, maybe George Brett too, but but uh, David Ortiz would definitely be on that. But the guy hit so many clutch home runs and so many big games, and him and Manny Ramirez, I'll tell you the truth, they might have been the best one-two punch we've seen together in a lineup in a long time. Yeah, that's that's a definite for sure on that one because of the fact that they were the ones that pitchers would be like. I don't know how to pitch this guy. It's like, don't. Just throw him something he can hit. Yeah. As long as he doesn't hit it out of the park, you've done your job. Right. Right. And an opposing figure, too. I used yeah. to like the way, you know, he would take, he'd spit on one glove and spit on the other glove and then do this thing with his hands and then get back in the box. I mean, he had a whole ritual. Yeah. But that was his version of putting pine tar on his glove so that his hands would stick to the bat a little bit. Yeah. It reminded me of a sumo wrestler before he gets in the ring. Yup. There was like some intimidating factor going on there too with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah oh. But 34 had a lot of numbers too. They did. Or a lot of that number that you, you just read them off. I mean, there's Raleigh Fingers, one of the greatest relievers. Oh, yeah. And then you had uh, Fernando Valenzuela with the Dodgers. Yep. The guy... Basically, the city of L.A. stopped. That's right. Whenever he was on the mound. That's right. When first, especially when he first came up. Yep. And the whole Mexico, the whole country of Mexico. Yeah. Like, they literally probably spent more time watching the game, but had um, either Jaime Yaron or Vin Scully on their radio call. So right. they could listen to the game. Right. You mentioned Raleigh Fingers, and the greatest thing about Raleigh Fingers was he used to save games like in the most toughest scenario because now, you know, uh, closers come into the ninth inning, there's nobody on and blah, blah, blah. He used to come in relief with like runners on first and third and no outs. That's a relief pitcher. Yeah. He, he would do the things to get out of the jams that the team had gotten themselves into with right. the hitters that came up. And he could do it over multiple innings at, at a time if he had to. Right. It wasn't just coming in in the ninth and try to get your three outs. He might have had to come in for a three or a three inning save. 
Maybe it was that handlebar mustache that can, that just threw everybody off. That's quite possible. Yeah. Did you have any other 34s? I did. There was also Dave Stewart who played in Oakland. Oh, yeah. Uh, you also had Felix Hernandez. Right. Seattle. John right. Lester with the Cubs and now the Nationals. He wore 34 in his, yeah. some of his best players. Uh, you also have Bryce Harper when he was with the Nationals. I think he's got it with the Phillies as well. Or he's got yeah. a different number there. And then also another Cub, Kerry Wood. Right, Kerry Wood. I mean, his most memorable game, as everybody knows, was his 20 strikeout game, which was only his fifth career start back in 1998. Yep. And that was one of those... Kerry Wood was a pitcher that literally, when Harry Kerry was still alive in the 95, 96, 97 seasons when Kerry Wood was down in the minors, he was talking about him being the next big thing. Well, yeah, the the talk was... I'm sorry, go ahead. The Cubs are looking at this kid as the next big thing in our organization, and he is going to do it, from what I'm hearing. And he would just talk him up, and Kerry Wood would have been that way had injuries not gotten in the way. Right, and it was kind of an unfair uh, thing in a way, because what was unfair was that he, you know, he was from Texas, and the comparison was Nolan Ryan. Mm-hmm. And to put that yeah. on a kid like that, saying, oh, this is the next Nolan Ryan, I mean, come on. I mean, you know, Nolan Ryan, 20... 24, 25 years Major League Baseball. I mean, how do you, it's a, that's a tough one. But, uh, yeah, injuries happen. A lot of people, there were certain people that said, you know, he didn't have the work, the workout regimen maybe that he needed to have. We used to, I used to hear people say that. I don't know how true it is, but that was one of the things I would hear commentators say. And that's probably true. It's just more a matter of in the first couple of years, it's like let him get his bearings, show the show the league what he's got, and then after that, let's change up his workout routine. Because to me, I don't think the pitchers took on the some of the weights or doing pitching specific workout or weight workouts at that time. It was just more later on when you got into like the two thousands things that they started really hitting those. Right. That's right. Okay, are you ready for 35? I sure am. All right, this is another number. You know, there's some serious comp here, too, with number 35. So who's the greatest number 35 of all time, Chad? I went with Phil Necro, the knuckleballer. The knuckleballer, Phil Necro. I mean, he did it with so many good... (laughs) Wow, yeah. I mean, you can always count on him to... To fool somebody with that knuckler, even if it meant that there might be a few times when he was doing something a little illegal with it, but he could get away with it. He's unbelievable, Phil Negro. I mean, the 24 years in Major League Baseball, Milwaukee Braves, Atlanta Braves, many great years with the Atlanta Braves, New York Yankees, Cleveland Indians, Toronto Blue Jays. I might be missing somebody, but um, the funny thing about Phil Negro is, you know. When you look at when I used to look at Phil Negro's baseball card, and you would just look at him, and you'd be like, "He doesn't look like a major league baseball player. He looks like somebody that should be like an accountant or something." Yeah. You know, I mean, at the, but in and when you watch him pitch, it was like, "How come nobody can hit this guy?" But yet nobody, you know, I mean, obviously he had a lot of success. I mean, and he did have a lot of success, and it was just amazing that he made a whole career to throw in that knuckleball like that. Yeah, and he made an even better career for Bob Euchre because Bob Euchre would always say the best way to catch the knuckleball was wait for it to stop rolling. Yeah. Oh. And we've seen knuckleballers. You know, we've seen uh, Tim Wakefield, and there's been 
uh, Tim Candiotti. There's been other knuckleballers, but no, none of those knuckleballers had the success like Phil Necro's had. Yeah, I mean, even growing up, when I first started watching baseball, the first uh, knuckleballer I really saw myself was Charlie Huff. Right. And he just looked like the old old man in the sea that's just throwing knuckleballs to keep his career going. <laughs> yeah. And he, and he, he threw one to Reggie Jackson in the World Series, and I think it's still going. Yeah. I, I'm wondering if that's going to ever come down. <laughs> I think it hit a wall, so that stopped it. it but, <laughs> yeah. So Phil Negro. Yeah. Good old Phil Negro. All right, number 35, I had to go with the big hurt, Frank Thomas. Okay. Five All-Stars, you know, two AL MVPs, four Silver Sluggers, AL batting champ, and this is kind of funny, and I and I and I should have wrote this down, but anyway, my son had a school project, and what he, but this is what he did for his school project, right? He took the best year anybody one single season. What is the greatest baseball season anybody had at one given position for one year? And we looked at everybody. We went from Babe Ruth all the way to A Rod. We looked at everybody at. Like, who had the greatest one season for a catcher and so forth? And believe it or not, and I don't remember the year, but we picked Frank Thomas. And that was probably the year he had 100 walks. He had, like, you know, batted, like, three-something and just, like, led in all these categories, had a major OPS, on-base, everything. Um, Frank Thomas, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny. Once again, you know, People say, hey, the guy wasn't a good fielder. He wasn't a team leader. He's this, that, and the other thing. But, man, you go to look at his stats. You know, and he played 19 years. And, you know, mostly for the White Sox, played for the Athletics and the Blue Jays. But some great numbers there for Frank Thomas. Yeah, I think the year you're trying to reference here is probably 1994. Okay. When he had 106 runs, scored 38 homers, 101 yeah. RBIs, 109 walks. Yeah. With a 487 on base, a 729 slugging, and a 1200 OPS. Oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Match that up against Lou Gehrig's. You know, I mean, it's what it's it was amazing. And and another, this is another guy that was steady. You know, he had a steady career. Yeah, he did. And he could bounce back between playing first base and DHing. Yeah. He's not going to win any awards in the broadcast booth, though, I don't think. No. Probably not, right? No. No, but anyway. I, I give yeah. him that, so. So who else do you have there? Who do you ha- who else you thought was a contender as the greatest number 35? Well, one of the ones would have been Ricky Henderson, because Ricky knows what he can do. Right. Ricky does it the way Ricky does. That's right. Uh, could have gone with Mike Nusina. Yeah, Mike Mussina had a great career. He had a great long-term career, both the Orioles and the Yankees. He just went out there and he, he got his innings. He ate up time on the on the mound. Yep. He never had to worry about what Mussina was going to do in terms of how many pitches he was going to throw. It was just a matter of, was he going to win the game or not? Yeah. Uh, you can go with Justin Verlander. Well, I'm sure that's Kate Upton's pick. Well, yeah. Except for the fact that he's had, what, his second Tommy John surgery and yeah, and the amount of time he's been in the league. Yeah. You've also got uh, the Phillies great a lot in, right up next to uh, Roy Halladay and Cole Hamels. Right. And then um, 
Mike Cuellar from those same Baltimore Orioles. Right. One, of the, one of the 20 game winners there on that year. They had four 20 game winners. Yep. Then you've also got, well, I had Bob Welch, who was a Dodger in athletics. Yeah, Bob <laughs> Welch was a good pitcher. Yeah. I know it was the 89 season, I think it was. He had 27 wins Whew. and only six losses. Yeah. Yeah, good pitcher, man. Yeah. And then you also had Manny Sankian, the Latin catcher. Oh, the yeah. Pirates. And uh, you just had some other guys like Don Gullett for the Reds, Brandon Crawford, today's uh, San Francisco Giants shortstop, yep. Eric yep. Hosmer when he was at the Royals. Brandon Crawford, man, what a... What a surprise on the home runs this year. Yeah, he's definitely found something that works for him this year, and he's run with it. I yeah. mean, he's the type of guy that three or four years ago, he probably would have been a journeyman center or shortstop somewhere else, not with the, the Giants for this long. Right. Yep. A guy you mentioned, Manny Sungian, uh, probably the – oh, my gosh – he may be the greatest bad ball hitter there ever was. I mean, this guy, if you bounced a pitch to him, he was going to swing at it. Yeah, he, he took it wherever he had to. Yeah, no, I should go back and look. I wonder how many walks he had. He probably didn't walk very much. I, that's kind of funny. I, maybe I'll do it after the show because that guy swung at everything. But part of that lumber company and that, that great pirate team with Clemente and all those guys there. So anybody else? In, in his 13 years, he had a total of 223 walks <laughs> to 331 strikeouts. Yeah, that's Manny Sanguin. Yep. But that's baseball, too, in that in that era. You know, yep. get up there and get your cuts in. You were essentially like the number eight hitter, and that's what you did. You just right. made sure you weren't the easy out for the pitcher. Because some of those pitchers, if you didn't swing at it, that ball was going right down the middle for a strike, so you better get a cut before you know it. You're going to be struck. Don't you know? There's no sense going up there taking pitches against Tom Seaver. Yeah. yeah. You weren't going to get many cuts against him if you tried. Yeah, that's right. So, what do you think? Were you ready for number thirty-six? For sure. Okay, the greatest number thirty-six of all time, Chad. It's it's getting a little tougher on number thirty-six, isn't it? It did because there were a number of options, and especially in the Hall of Fame category. But I, in the long run, went with Jerry Kuzman. Yeah. Because he was a consistent pitcher for the Mets, Twins, and White Sox. That he'd go out there, he'd get his innings, he'd get his, yep. his outs that he needed, and he'd do the things. And he was one of the ones that really kind of let the Cubs down back in 69 when the Mets came out of nowhere to beat him. Right, and the number two pitcher for the Mets for many years, you know, behind Tom Seaver. Yeah. And it was a great thing because he was the lefty, right? So, you know, you had Seaver, the, the hard-thrown righty, and then you had Kuzman in there as a lefty, so it made managers have to adjust their lineups. Exactly, especially in those years when you wanted the lineup to be consistent every right. day. Right, But then it's some that just weren't good against left-handed pitchers, so it's like, well, i got to put the backup in. Yep. Yeah, that, that's right. And, right, and Kuzman, a big part of that, 69, like you said, the 1969 World Series team, which, you know, to this day, it's still amazing that they won a World Series. Only their seventh year in the league. Right, seventh year in the league, they win a World Series and uh, and beat that Baltimore team, which was loaded, you know. And I did a whole, I, did, I have a whole podcast out there, people, listen to it. 
in a matter of a year and a half, the Mets, the Jets, and the Knicks won world championships. And the Mets beat the Baltimore Orioles, the Jets beat the Baltimore Colts, and the New York Knicks in the playoffs, I think in the, in the semifinals, beat the Baltimore Bullets. And they won three championships season to season to season, back to back to back for New York. And uh, to think about that now, it's like, holy cow, can you imagine the Knicks and the Jets ever winning anything? <laughs> no, I mean, and back then you had some of the greatest sports figures in town. You had Joe Namath, Walt Fraser. I mean, those are huge, huge names in the 70s. I mean, to have those two guys in the same city. I mean, and then Tom Seaver on top of that. Just amazing stuff there. So we're getting off on a tangent a little bit. Any other 36s? Were you going with Kuzman as well? Or? No, I have to go with Gaylord. Okay. I went yep. with Gaylord Perry because um, somebody's got, somebody has to give somebody's got to be Gaylord Perry's friend, right? Because for twenty one years, a lot of people will tell you all he did was cheat, but guess what? You're not cheating when there's no rule. Yeah, I mean we're talking about Gaylord Perry. I mean he would touch every part of his body before he threw a pitch. Yeah, because he throw that <laughs> what seemed a spitball and. Yeah, was, the greaser and everything he had going. So, yeah, he'd, he'd hide it anywhere he could. And the umpires would be like, well, where do you get it this time? Yeah, two Cy Youngs he won. Um, pitched a no-hitter. 21 years of longevity there, too, you know. So yeah. I, had, I had to give it to Gaylord Perry, even though, you know, I'm a Mets fan. So I, sh I showed a little restraint there. <laughs> yeah, a little <laughs> bit. Anybody else you like? Um, well, we could have gone with Robin Roberts in that list. Right. But plays in the Cubs. I mean, he had some great years. Oh, he, he sure did. With Steve Carlton. Right. Played in the Billy. 50s and the 60s. And uh, one of the best pitchers of his era, Robin Roberts. So that's a, yep. that's, a, that's a real good choice. And another guy that pitched forever was Jim Cott. Yep. I had him as the fourth choice. Yeah. And the greatest thing about Jim Cott, it's kind of funny. Go... Man, I, I'm, I'm wondering if there's YouTube videos on this. Jim Cott had the fastest, like, when the catcher threw Jim Cott the ball, the ball was out of his hand within, like, a couple seconds. That's what he was yeah. known for. I mean, everybody was like, oh, Jim Cott's on the mound. Good, this is going to be, like, a short game. Because he got the ball and he threw it. Yeah, he didn't waste time. He no. knew he was going to players. Yeah, that was the beauty Whatever. of Jim Cott. It'd be kind of funny to see what Jim Cott, what he would think of uh, today's baseball when he watches, uh, what's that guy, um, Pedro Baez that used to pitch for the Dodgers. The guy took about a half hour to throw the each pitch. Yeah, yeah, he was like the relief version of Steve Trachtel. Yeah, yep. All right, um, number, you want to go to number 37? We can. There were a couple others. Okay, go ahead. Could have gone with um, one of the original Dodger greats, uh, Don Newcomb. Yep. Um, then you also had Terry Steinbach, the Athletics and the Twins at catcher during their top years. Yep. Uh, Kevin Tappany from the Twins and the Cubs. Kevin Tappany, yeah. Tom Flash Gordon when he was with the Royals, Red Sox, White Sox, Yankees, and Diamondbacks. Right. And. The big Buddha himself, David Wells, when he was with the Blue Jays, Reds, and Orioles. Right. 
I was on a plane with him once, David Wells. Sure, that was fun. Yeah, it kind of funny. Check this out. Dave, this is who's on my plane. Oh my gosh. David Wells. Um I shouldn't have started this. Terry Kennedy, he was the he was the men's basketball coach at DePaul. He was on okay. the same plane and um Oh. I'm drawing a blank here. I gotta think of it. Oh, here we go. Andrew Dice Clay. <laughs> How's that for a, a cast of characters on my plane? Talk about some zingers. Yeah. Yep. And I was like, looking at, I was like, oh my God, there's David Wells. I looked around and Ke- Terry Kennedy was a men's basketball coach at um, DePaul. And then there's Andrew Dice Clay. And I went up to Andrew Dice Clay like an idiot and asked him for his autograph. And he's sitting next to his publicist. And his publicist says, I'm sorry, but he's not feeling well. I was like, oh, okay. And I walked <laughs> I walked away. <laughs> I'm like, okay. He's sitting right there eating a sandwich. But uh, I guess he wasn't feeling well. So I no, no big loss not getting Andrew Dice Clay's uh, uh, autograph, I don't think. I think I, I think I've survived that. Yeah, you definitely did. Yep. Okay, thirty-seven. This one was a, a the greatest thirty-seven. Who was the greatest thirty-seven of all time? This was tough. Yeah, this one I went really off the radar compared to what some people might have gone with, but I went with Bobby Thigpen, the oh. closer from White Sox in the nineties. Yeah, he had that one year. That never, like, what is he doing with these saves? He ended up having 57 that season. I remember I had to look in the newspaper twice because I couldn't believe it. Yeah. When, I mean, he was, when he was heading towards that big number. Yeah. I, mean, I was a, a young fan at that time, and to see that many saves, it's like, wow. How was he able to pitch so well for so long when he's basically only needing to have one pitch? Yeah. It was kind of funny when I very when I heard his name for the very first time on the radio, I thought they were saying Pigpen. And I'm like, come on, this guy's name can't be Pigpen. Yeah, I mean, that was in that 1990 season that he had 50, the 57, which was the final year at Old Comiskey Park. Yeah. So he really put some spe- something special into that. Right, right. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting pick. That's a good pick, though. And, and you know what? You gave it to him because of that year, and that was an amazing year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially for a guy that he was an unsung, consistent closer between 1987, or well, about 1988 to 1992. He had an average of about 30-some saves a, a year. Right. Right. And he ended up with 201 total saves over his career, so you, you couldn't go wrong with that. Enemies. Right. I mean, That's he only awesome. had really a nine-year career. Yeah, I saw I saw Dennis Eckersley there, but he only pitched three years with the Indians at, at wearing number thirty-seven. Yeah. So, and no that way. was in the point when he was still kind of trying to be a starting pitcher. Yep. So he wasn't quite the closer idea yet. No, he was a starter then. He was also a starter after that with the Red Sox. Yeah, I think he yeah. did some starting with the Cubs too when he first got there. Yeah. And yeah. then somebody decided to be in a closer. Yep. All right, Bobby. Bobby uh, Thinkpen. I like that. I went with uh, Dave Steeb. Okay. Uh, pitcher, 
15 years, he wore number 37 and pitched for the Toronto Blue Jays from 79 and 98. And he was there for those big time, you know, those those big time years that uh, Toronto had. Believe it or not, at one time, Toronto was a powerhouse in baseball. And you probably remember that. But Dave Steve was the best pitcher on those teams. Yeah, he, he was consistent with them, especially um, in the years when they were winning titles or getting there. Like it, between 80, 88 and 90, he was averaging about 50, 16, yeah. 17 wins a year. Right. But he also had some years in the early 80s where he was averaging about the same amount. Never a 20-game winner, but he was always on the precipice of it. Yep, seven all-star. Is that seven all-star games? So that says something there. Seven all-star yeah. games. That's a lot for a pitcher. Uh, AL ERA leader one year. Pitched a no-hitter as well. So, um, And, you know, it's Toronto, and we don't think we've picked any Toronto guys. So I, I, well, I, I threw one out there for the Toronto Blue Jays. Sure. And the other thing with Toronto, or with Dave Steve especially, in some of those all-star years – might have been some of those years where it was still kind of playing around with that everybody had to have a representative. <laughs> right. So he was their rep. Probably in the seven, the 79 and 80-81 years. Yeah, definitely 80-81 because 79, he, he didn't get in there yet. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a solid pick. I got to throw this out there. Number 37, Burley Grimes. Maybe he needs to go on the on the greatest name list. Yeah. Played for the Pirates in 1934. Burley Grimes. What a great name that is. Mm-hmm. And I, and I noticed that Ryan Sandberg, the great Ryan Sandberg, one year at the Phillies, 1981, he wore number 37. Yep, that was his debut year yeah. before the I'm in the trade. Yep. Yeah. Then you also had uh, Bill Spaceman Lee. Oh, yeah, Bill Lee Spaceman. Oh, boy. What another, a, what a another crazy one. guy he was. Yeah, he had some stories. Another one that would be on the all-names team, Peanuts Lowry. Oh, yeah. With the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, right. He had Jimmy Pearsall. Yep. Uh, the crafty left-hander from Milwaukee, Dan Plesak. Dan Plesak, right. Local product here. Yep. And then Steven Strasburg wears 37 for the Nationals now. Yep. Um, Keith Hernandez had it for a year. Yeah. Good oh, years with the, with the good years with the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. I think this might have been the number that Pedro had with the Expos in his short time there. He came up with thirty-seven before right. he switched up to forty-five. Right. So good stuff. Good. All right, so let's go to number thirty-eight, the greatest number thirty-eight of all time in Major League Baseball history. And that one, I went with another closer. But yeah. this one was one that he was your every everyday kind of closer that he showed up, he did his job, even if he did it over one inning because he had a, a good setup guy, and that was Rick Aguilera. Rick Aguilera, yes. X-Met, too. He was on that 86 yep. World Series team. Yep. He, he'd be like the guy that Jesse Orozco would set up for. Yeah. Well, he and actually they, started yeah. quite a bit for the Mets, and then he became a kind of a closer after that. Yeah. And then he had his, his greater years with the Twins and the Red Sox, and then he finished out with the Cubs. That's right. Yeah, it was he kind of... A yeah. consistent closer. And that's even beating out another closer that we can talk about here in a minute, unless you name them yourself. No, I don't have a closer. Okay. Go ahead. Because I was going to say, the other one would have been another all, another short-time great in Eric Gagne. Right. Just, 
Mr. Consistency for the Dodgers. He came in. You just Greg got, did you say Greg got? Oh, Eric Gagne, right. Yeah, Eric Gagne. Yeah. Right. With the gla- he had those crazy glasses. Yeah, he was the closer that everybody knew for the glasses that he wore. Because up in, in between like Kent Tacoldi oh, and yeah. Eric Gagne, there was really nobody else wearing glasses other than Tom Henke right. to close up games in, the, in those uh, those years. Yeah, it was almost like all those guys like got together and started wearing them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, kind of a funny thing. I have I have Kurt Schilling. Okay. I'd Kurt Schilling, who will never make the make the uh, Hall of Fame, he says. Six All Stars, three time World three time World Series champion, World Series MVP, two time win leader. Um, Kurt Schilling, you know, I mean, he had the blood on the sock. Remember that whole stuff with the Red yep. Sox and all that. I mean, he was a gamer. Won some big games, you know. Is he the greatest pitcher of his era? Probably not, but um, you know, pretty had some three World Series. He won, and he was uh, he was played an important role in all of those. So uh, I I chalked it up for Kurt Schilling. Uh, from, good, yeah, I mean he had the the one with the Phillies. Yeah, then he he had one with the Diamondbacks in one He was paired up with uh, Randy, Randy John. Right, the the one two punch there. Right. In that 2001 season, especially, and then right. he had the years with the Red Sox. Yep. Well, that was the year that um, that Gonzalez guy hit like 50 home runs for the Diamondbacks, and they went on to beat the Yankees in the World Series, where Mariano Rivera gave, gave a blown a save there. Yep. Two, the one that you ironically talked about having the home run, the 50 home runs that year, and Luis Gonzalez. Right, Luis Gonzalez. Yep. He hit the blooper over short. Right. It was like a che- it was like a check swing blooper, and that ended the game. Yep. You know, and I was like, "Yeah, good for Arizona." You know, the Yankees have won n- enough World Series. Yeah, and that was the year that everybody thought the Yankees were probably going to get it, just because you just had nine eleven happen, so everything was kind of looking like it was going to be a New York year. And that was after the previous year they just won the World Series against the Mets in that two thousand Subway Series. Right. And then they just. One pitch did him in. Yep. Yep. That's all it took is one pitch. Um, all right. So we go to number. You ready for number 39? I sure am. All right. Who do you got for number 39? I went with the Cobra on this one, Dave Parker. He just was a gamer. He did yes, everything he that he played for needed. If it was little things or if it was big things, he just could always be counted on to do them. That's right. Well said. Um, uh, I went with Dave Parker, the same deal. I mean, the guy just first, I think he was the first guy that I remember wearing earrings. On the, you know, he had an earring, and I was like, dude's wearing an earring. But man, when you watched him at the plate, you weren't worried about his earrings. The guy was, he used to crowd that plate, but the guy used to hit. And what a great arm he had out in right field. Yeah, he, he was just unbelievable to watch play because he would do all the things and start to get guys over, get them in. Do whatever he had to do to help the team. Right, right. Was on has a World Series championship with the We Are Family back in 1979 for the Pirates. Um, and another one with the Athletics, I believe, in '89. Two. That's right. Two-time World Series champ, seven All-Star games, NL MVP, three Gold Gloves, three Silver Sluggers, and two-time National Batting champ. And that's the great thing about the guy. The guy had some power, but he, but he led the league in, in batting twice. Batting average. 
19 years he played, and, you know, he, he certainly, you know, you can't fill the shoes of Roberto Clemente. But Dave Parker, you know, played right field, the same position for many years with the, with the Pirates, and played it great, you know. So Dave Parker all the way. When I saw Dave Parker there wearing number 39, I said, this is a slam dunk. Yeah. I mean, you, you look at some of the other names in, in that number. I mean, you've got uh, Roy Campanella with the Dodger catcher through the Brooklyn years who unfortunately lost his career in the car accident that right. paralyzed him. Uh, you've also got Mike Kruko, who was a good journeyman pitcher. Joe yeah. Nuxall, the classic red. Um, and then the mad Hungarian Al, Al Hrabowski, right. who was a strong reliever. Yep. Crazy. He, he used to go back there and talk to himself before he threw the pitch. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he was one of those that I saw a story once that a manager tried to put in a no facial hair rule. <laughs> and he basically said, all right, I'm just done here. Yeah, that was he it. Was not giving up his look. No, he uh, beat he beat to his own drum. Yeah. No doubt about that. We ready for number 40? Sure am. Greatest number 40 in Major League Baseball history, Chad. Who is it? That one I went to Mad Bum. Mad Bum, Mad but Bum yeah. He, he, he might have to retire, though, because he's hurting himself. Yeah. And if the if the major or if, uh, the National League goes to the DH, he's going to have to because he's not going to be as fun to watch just pitching. Right. So, but yeah. with the consistency that he had with the Giants in the 2010s, you you couldn't pass him up. I mean, there there are other names here that I've got, but Mad Bum was the guy that you when you knew he was pitching, he was pitching because he was a a good part of that triumvirate in. Uh, San Francisco with Barry Zito and Tim Lincecum. Matt Cain would be like their fourth guy in that lineup or in that rotation. And they were just all, when they were on their game, you just knew the Giants were going to pull out big wins. Yep. Yeah, I mean, he, he was the cog there on those, uh, you know, the ace pitcher on those teams that won World Series for San Francisco. And it's kind of funny. They won three World Series, right? Yep. They did it in 2010, yeah. 2012. And- 2014. You know, a lot of people don't remember that. And Bruce Boshi, what a great manager he was. Yeah, he ended up with about 2,000 wins in his career. And yeah. He only did it with two teams. A pretty decent era of uh, the Padres. And then I think it was the good 15, 20 years with the Giants. Yep. Yep. Okay, are we ready for the... Okay, you ready for mine. Now, I agree yes. with everything you said, and I, and I probably should have picked him. I should have picked Mad Bump, but I'm telling you, I saw 19 years wearing number 40 of Big Sexy, Bartolo Colon. <clears throat> Who, last I knew, is still pitching in Mexico. <laughs> He's going to pitch till he dies. Pretty much. Yeah, and, and he can hit, too. He'll it hit took the... him a while that he finally had a home run in his yeah, career. Yeah, he... and it's funny how he started hitting better as he got older, but he had a chance, I suppose. Bartolo Colon, I mean, the guy like has played forever, four-time All-Star. Probably should have had more for all the years he's played. But anyway, AL Cy Young Award winner, and he and he was the leader in wins one year too. And it's kind of funny, you know. I collect baseball cards, and you should see his uh, rookie card. He looks about three times bigger now than his rookie card. Yeah, I mean, he, <laughs> he grew into 
his body for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yep, that is for sure. Anybody else you got at number forty? Uh, you had Rick Honeycutt, who was a strong Rick Honeycutt. Pitch. Yeah, here's with the Dodgers. He's a pitching coach now. I don't know if he's pitching. Oh, is he? he's a pitching coach anymore. That's right, he, he is. He was with the You're Dodgers right. for a while, yes. and then when he left, Mark Pryor took over. Right. Um, he also had Rick Sutcliffe when he came to the Cubs. He took on number forty and ran with it the rest of his career. Right. Always dependable in Rick Sutcliffe. Had that big year, what was it, in 84? Yeah, when he yeah. came over from Cleveland for yeah. the, in the trade. Yeah. Getting us into the playoffs that year. Yeah. Um, there was also Steve Bergerjian, who was a decent uh, setup guy. Right. For the Leeds and Giants and Twins. And then... Bedrock. His nickname was Bedrock. Yep. Steve Bach, Bedrock Bedrosian, his son Cam is in the majors now. Yep. He also had Troy Percival, the Angels. He was a he was a hard thrower. Oh, yeah, definite hard hard throwing closer for the the California Angels yep. before the, the Anaheim and such things. Yep. And then old Henry Rodriguez. Right. Also Frank Tanana. Was a pretty good pitcher for the yeah. Angels, Cal Angels, and the Reds. Well, actually, just the Cal Angels, but not too much on the Red Sox. Pretty good pitcher. Had some good years, Frank Tanana. Yeah, and I think he, in the middle part of that career, he was with um, Detroit too. Yep. And that was where I think some of his better years were was with the Tigers. That's right. You're right on that. You nailed that one. No. All right, so we're gonna have some fun times now in the '40s, right? Yep. Yeah. Gonna yeah. be a lot of controversy. Between here and uh, at least number fifty-five, I'm yeah. gonna say. Hey, we got to go up to sixty. We're only on forty, so people, we got a little ways to go. But you know what? You can always. What's great about a podcast? You can come back and listen to it. And you can listen to it from anywhere, thanks right. to the the gloriousness of the cell phone. That's right. You can listen to it for twenty minutes today, twenty minutes tomorrow to get through all sixty. Right? It gives you something. To, Gives you something to look at. So check out the uh, Fan Man podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, and most other platforms. All right. So we're going to continue here with number 41. Who is the greatest number 41 of all time? Chad. Unanimously speaking, Tom Seaver. Tom Seaver. You, you really don't have to say too much more as to why Tom Seaver, other than he was just consistent, always throwing hard, always getting his wins, doing the things to make sure that his team was doing the things that needed to be done. Right. And many accolades go out to Tom Seaver, but one, I and I remember watching this as I was a little kid, he struck out 10 consecutive San Diego Padres. And that's a record today, still. With all these great pitchers out there, this is still a record today. 10 San Diego Padres he struck out in a row. Tom Terrific, 12 All-Stars, Games, a World Series championship with the Mets. That's another whole great story there. Three Cy Youngs, Rookie of the Year, three-time wins ERA leader, five-time strikeout leader, pitched a no-hitter. I'm going to talk about that no-hitter in a minute. But I also want to say what a great pitcher he was in college for USC. Um, Nobody ever talks about that. But um, the no-hitter story is just the greatest of all time, really, pretty much for me at least. I'm I'm a Tom Seaver guy, and I'm a Yankee hater. And Tom Seaver pitched a no-hitter when he was on the Chicago White Sox. He was a pitcher for the Chicago White Sox and pitched a no-hitter against the Yankees. And it happened to be on Phil Rizzuto Day. And Phil Rizzuto was a great shortstop for the Yankees, and he was a broadcaster. 
And right before the game, he goes, hey, you know, this is my day. This is Phil Rizzuto day. And it was like the third or fourth inning. And people are, you know, the broadcasters are like, hey, Tom Seaver's got a no-hitter after four. And the kiss of death, um, Phil Rizzuto goes, he's not pitching a no-hitter on my day. Well, guess what? He pitched a no-hitter on Phil Rizzuto day. Which is just the ultimate. <laughs> if you're a Yankee hater, that's the ultimate. You got the former New York Mets pitcher pitching a no-hitter on Phil Rizzuto day. Yeah, and especially a Tom Seaver that every year but one when he was with the Mets, he made the All-Star team. Yep. The only year he didn't was 1974. Right. And every Met fan, I'll never forget, every Met fan's crying when he got traded to the Reds. It was just like you thought your father was leaving you. You thought your parents got divorced when Tom Seaver went to the Cincinnati Reds. It was like the most horrible thing you could ever imagine as a Met fan. So there's a lot of reasons for Tom Seaver. I mean, I have so many reasons to put him on this list, and a lot of them don't have to do with baseball. There's so much emotion surrounding the whole thing with Tom Seaver. And I will say this, had a great career, but did not have a great World Series in 1969. Jerry Kuzman actually outpitched him then in that series for the Mets. But um, just all around great. No, Anybody you thought about on 41 other than Seaver? There was uh, the closer for the Blue Jays, Cardinals, and Orioles that wore 41, and I think it was another glasses wearer and Pat Penkin. Right. Some great years in the... Yep. Eddie Matthews, the third baseman for the Boston Braves, Milwaukee Braves, and Atlanta Braves. Had a lot of home runs there. He's up yeah, there. Always behind Hank Aaron in the lineup, so. Yep. And a pretty good player, Daryl Evans, who played 13 years wearing number 41 for the Giants in Detroit. Daryl Evans. And uh, and he was like a – he was he can play a little third. He can play first. He can hit for power. You know, the guy was a pretty underrated, solid player, so I had to mention him too. Yeah. Then, you know, like, the starting – Victor Martinez. Yep. For the Tigers. Uh, Charles Nagy, the Cleveland Indian pitcher. Yep. yep. Um, Jeff Reardon, who was another closer, yep. the bearded one. The bearded one, right. Uh, he might have been I, right after Aguilera, right? Yes. Yeah. And then uh, you had John Lackey with the Angels, Red Sox, Cardinals, and Cubs. Yeah. Some strong years. Right. Uh, other than that, maybe Kevin Brown would have been another one, but yeah. not too many more from there. Yeah. A little overrated, Kevin Brown. Yeah. Especially when he signed that big deal for the Dodgers and then he panned out to be nothing. <laughs> right, right. Ready for 43. Uh, let's go 42 first. Oh, gee, I'm off a number. Oh, my goodness. You're right. 42. Thanks, Chad. 42. The greatest number 42 of all time, Chad. Oh, how do we juggle this one? I mean, you've got two of the greatest to watch the game. You just One was poetry in motion in the way that he stole bases and hit the ball, fielded his position, did the things that he needed to do, and Jackie Robinson, the first... African American in baseball, right? Uh, has the great story that we all know, we all have heard over the years. Have probably seen the movie Forty Two, and just continue to hear the stories about how Jackie Robinson's career went. And then you also had the greatest closer of all time in Mariano Rivera. I mean, over six hundred saves, multiple World Series titles with 
with the Yankees and was part of that core with uh, Posada, Jeter, uh, Pettit through the years that you could always count on them to be there in the, in the moments when the Yankees needed them. In the long run, in my case, I went the controversial side and went with Mariano Rivera <laughs> just because I got to see more of his play. Right. What he meant to his organization and winning so many titles and being one of the more dominant pitchers in baseball at the time that he was pitching. Right. That's for sure. Um, I had to go in the other direction. I went with Jackie Robinson. And um, putting aside his play for just a minute, I went with Jackie Robinson for one single reason, is that what once a year, everybody wears number 42. So that's everybody in baseball has to wear number 42. And number 42 is retired, right, in all of baseball. Yeah, it was retired back in, I believe it was 97, was the first year they had the Jackie Robinson Day. Right. But Mariano Rivera was already wearing it, and there were a couple others that were still wearing it at the time. They continue wearing it in their current organizations. Mm-hmm. But after right. that, it, it yeah. was kind of a, who they were as if they got to keep wearing it, if they moved around a little more. Right. So if we did this show, I don't know, 40 years from now, We'd probably still be looking at Jackie Robinson and Mariano Rivera as the greatest number 42, right? <laughs> Most likely by that point, it would be more of a Robinson than it would be Rivera. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jackie Robinson, you know, th- so that's that's one reason. But the other reason is the guy was a great baseball player, six times All-Star, World Series champ, NL MVP, Rookie of the Year, two-time stolen base leader, and nobody put up with more adverse adversity to ever play Major League Baseball than Jackie Robinson. So we know there would have been a lot of people that may have crumbled under that pressure, but Jackie Robinson stood tall and put up, I'll just say, with a lot of junk, whatever you want to call it, a lot of junk, a lot of racism and everything else, and was able to withstand all of that and have a Hall of Fame career. One thing about the guy, the guy might have been the greatest baseball player to ever steal home. The guy could steal home like crazy. Yeah, I mean... The pitcher may not even be in their windup yet. He's already on his way home. God, I love watching the guy steal home. Yeah. I don't know why more guys don't, though. I mean, half the times it looks like these guys are sleeping. Yeah, I think a lot of the reason why stolen, steal of home anymore doesn't work out is that you've got too many players that are slow on the first step. So they just become... Yeah, we, I missed that one. We did, how did you finish that? Uh, the, you got too many of the, the uh, runners that they're just slow to start out so that yeah. the pitcher knows that it's coming. The catcher's already ready, so it's kind of a pointless thing to do anymore. Right, that's right. All right, so Jackie Robinson, um, Mariano Rivera, you can't go wrong, right? No. Either right. one is a good choice, and... Like we were saying, in 40 years from now, it might be that we're just talking straight up Jackie Robinson, and that's it. Yeah. Well, I think we'll still remember Mariano Rivera quite a bit, though. But the relievers, you know, who knows with, with these guys relieving, there might his records may be broken. Who knows, right? He might be right on that. Yeah. yeah. All right, number 43, Chad. Who's the greatest 43 of all time, Major League Baseball? I don't want Dennis Eckers. Like, the guy was a, a monster closer with the submarine from the side. I mean, watching him with the athletics was just amazing what he could do to be such a dominant closer at that time. Right. 
right? And, and give some credit to Tony LaRusso, who basically, I think, created Dennis Eckersley. Yeah. The, the monster that became Eck with yeah. the athletic Cardinals was just amazing to watch. Right. Six All-Stars, a World Series champion, AL MVP, a Cy Young. Wow. Um, ALCS MVP, two-time save leader, and a no-hitter. Kind of funny. What a unique bunch of records he has. He's got a no-hitter, and he's got and he's the save leader too. Yeah, he at one point was the all-time saves leader, and then yeah. it started going faster than the lightning. Right. I mean, for many years in Oakland and, and even in St. Louis, if you had a lead going into the ninth inning, everybody should just like pick up their stuff and walk out of the stadium because the game was over when you got on the mound. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember him ever having like you know Trevor Hoffman used to come out there and he had a song I forgot Hell's Bells I think they were playing when he'd come in I don't remember Dennis Eckersley really being that imposing he had that long hair in the back and a little bit of a mustache going on there but the, but he just came in there and it was like he didn't need a lot of pomp and circumstance he just got on the mound and he just got outs he made people miss yeah he he didn't really need a walk up tune. Like what uh, Mariano and some of the closers that came after him did. Yeah. To get get the fans ready for him. Right, right. Any anybody else you liked at forty three? Um, the ones that I looked at were the great Dave Dravecki. His story just he pitched yeah. and pitched until it was, literally his arm was broken off. That's right. I mean, yep. to see that moment happen, and I believe it was uh, Montreal. Yeah. He threw the pitch and just went down in seconds. And then you just knew from that point. And this was the second time that he had an arm situation where it, it literally was a pitch that broke his arm as he threw it. It wasn't a batted ball. It was literally the pitch. He threw it and he was just done. He fell, to, fell down face first, basically, to the dirt. And he was out for good. Yep. Yeah, that was that was something else to watch, and so sad. It was, what a way to what a way to end it. So, I'm glad you mentioned him. Yeah, and you had R. A. Dickey, who became more of a um, a knuckleballer towards the end of his career. Right, that's right. All right, so let's go to the big number, one of the biggest uh, numbers there is in baseball, number forty-four. Right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it, it, you can think it's hard, but it's pretty easy, right? Yeah, if, if you're not saying Hank Aaron without blinking, I don't know what the heck you're thinking. Because right. Hank Aaron just, he overcame a lot of obstacles just getting into the league. And then as he started getting closer to the all-time home run record, it was a matter of life and death. Right. I mean, he was getting death threats by mail every day. It literally got to a point where... Um, the the mail room was not giving him mail because they knew what it was going to be. Yep. Yep. So. And what was crazy is, you know, when he was going through that chase, and um, and you know, I mean, this is this is how big baseball was back then, right? They would break into TV coverage. Now there was no ESPN back then when he broke the record. So when they broke into TV coverage, they were like. Well, Hank Aaron has 713 home runs. They would break right, CBS, ABC, all those stations, they'd break right in and put them on the screen, put that at-bat on the screen, 
And then if he didn't hit a home run, they'd go back to the TV program. And then when he yeah. came back up, <laughs> because nobody wanted to miss it. Exactly. And those were people were crazy. They had um, they had big fishing nets and big all kinds of things to try to be the guy that catches the baseball. Yeah. You know when he and hit then, when he hit seven fourteen, and then when he hit seven fifteen, it was even crazier um, when he broke the record. Yeah, and there was no net to be able to catch it because it didn't even get to the seats. And yep. ended up in the yeah. Well, let, yeah, let's talk about this guy's amazing career, though. 25 All-Star Games, World Series champ, AL, uh, NL MVP, three-time Gold Glove, two-time batting champ. I'm always impressed with that when a guy has, breaks, uh, has 700 homers and he also won a batting ch- championship, too, a few times. Um, so you can just see what kind of player he was. 755 home runs, 3,771 hits. Not just 3,000, but 3,771 hits, almost 4,000 hits for um, for Hank Aaron. Played forever. And the thing about Hank Aaron, you always used to hear this, some of the strongest wrists you'd ever want to have, and that was that was the thing about him. He hit so many home runs, they said, because he could, his wrists were so strong and he can get so much torque on that bat, and those balls would just fly out of there. And it was also known that he held the bat backwards. Yeah. Like, he would have the opposite hand on top. Yep. Instead of on the bottom like it should have been. Yep. So, everybody's like, don't ever copy his batting the way he <laughs> held his bat, because you're probably going to break your wrist trying to do it. Yep, that's right, and... As a Mets fan, I would always fear every time I saw the guy come up to bat. How can you not? And he was one of those guys, you know, once again, there's only, you know, how many guys, you know, in baseball do you actually like say, hey, you know what, Hank Aaron is up. I got to watch this. And that's what he was. You know, you, there's only a handful of guys that you can say that you actually like, hey, I got to watch this game tonight or I got to watch this at bat because Hank Aaron is up. You knew you, were, you knew you were seeing something special every time he would come up. So, no. So, who we want to go? Willie McCovey. <laughs> Poor Willie McCovey. Yeah, between uh, McCovey and uh, Red Team. Right. 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 Um, I also had Anthony Rizzo, Eric Davis of the Reds. Yeah. Had some good years there. Um, you got uh, Royals, Walt and Jason Isringhausen, both dominant pitchers in the '90s. Either starters or uh, relievers. Yep. And that was about it there. Yeah. But you just had some some good numbers to work with. Yep. And we got to talk a little bit about Reggie Jackson. I mean, Reggie Jackson, what can you say? 11 years wearing number 44 uh, for the New York Yankees. And, um, you know, we got to the Yankees. A lot of people didn't, a lot of fans didn't like Reggie Jackson when he was on the Yankees because you had that old crew of Craig Nettles and, and Thurm and and Thurman Munson, and why do we need Reggie Jackson? And then Reggie Jackson made a statement, hey, I'm the guy that stirs the drink. And that got everybody upset. And then he had run-ins with Billy Martin, of course. But when it was all said and done, you know, here's how, and this is what I learned at a young age, right? I'm 18 years old, and the whole season in 1978, not 1977, but 78, let's say, I'll use 78, and he would get maligned by everybody. The play, the the all the fans, <clears throat> the players. A lot of players didn't like him. Nobody really liked him because he was making a lot of money. 
and maybe because he was African-American as well. Nobody liked him, right? Um, outside of Elston Howard, probably the next greatest uh, African-American player to play for the Yankees. But So he had, a lot of, he had a lot of this going on. But when he when he started hitting and he hit, you know, then he hits three home runs in the World Series, everybody's like, Reggie, 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 Reggie. It was like, where the heck did this come from, Yankee fans? And it just goes to show you the lesson I learned is People are fickle and they're not going to like respect you until, you know, the Yankees, all the, everybody on the Yankees, all the Yankee fans, I should say everybody, a lot of Yankee, a lot of Yankee fans hated the guy. And then all of a sudden when he started producing, he was everybody's buddy, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I thought that was unfair. I thought his treatment that he received while he was a Yankee was somewhat unfair. And, and to his credit, I never heard Reggie Jackson say anything bad about the time he spent in New York. Yeah. You know, and it was just amazing. He hit three home runs in a World Series game. I think on th I think off of three different pitchers, too, from what I remember. Then he, then he was on that Angel team that was loaded with a bunch of free agents, right? <laughs> yeah. And then, and then Willie McCovey. I mean, Willie McCovey might have been the biggest guy next to Frank Howard I've ever seen at the plate. And as a Mets fan, again, which scared the living daylights out of me, and the guy was great. He was a great power hitter. But when you look at this number, the greatest number of all time uh, for number 44 has to be Hank Aaron. Yeah, you can't go against that, even even if Willie McCovey was the next one in line. Right. All right, are we ready for 45? I am. All right, who is it? Greatest 45 of all time. I went with Bob Gibson. He was the most dominant with all the different changes to the rules and things that he had going for him then right I mean there's no there's no way to look at 45 without looking at um at Bob Gibson now the closest guy I went with Bob Gibson too right I mean but Pedro Martinez had some good years yeah some of his better years were at number 45 with the uh, Red Sox and Mets especially right five time ERA leader that's hard to do yeah. Because you can miss it by a tenth of a point or something, but he got it every time. He got five ERA leaders, three-time strikeout leader, three Cy Youngs for Pedro Martinez. So that's a pretty good, you know, some people could say Pedro, but I'm not going to say Pedro. I'm going to say Bob Gibson. Yeah. And Gibson was dominant for so many years, and especially with those good Cardinals teams. Yep. Anybody else that gets in the class picture? Probably not, right? Uh, not in terms of the best to wear the number, but probably honorable mention might be like a Cecil Fielder or a Garrett Cole or a Terry Mulholland. Right. Right. Garrett Cole may need just a couple more years. Yeah. <clears throat> and then another, a couple of notables would have been uh, Tug McGraw from the Mets. And oh, Williams yeah. As a right. Tug and, McGraw, for sure. Yeah. And then for the all-names team, probably Orville Grove. From the White Sox. <laughs> yep. Uh, if you wanted another expo in there, you got Steve Rogers, who was yep. a good for the expos in the seventies. Right, probably the best pitcher of you know that they had. Just sort of, he was the equivalent of Dave Steve in a different era, almost. Yeah. With Toronto, yeah. And then one guy I always, you know, I remember this guy, John Candelaria, a big big lefty, pitcher for the Pirates and the Angels. Mets, Yankees, and Expos, and uh, interesting guy. 
had had that uh, had some good years there, John Candelaria. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but nowhere near uh, Bob Gibson or Pedro Martinez for sure. Yeah. Yep. All right, so we go to number forty-six, the greatest forty-six of all time. And that one, I had Mike Flanagan. Wow. I really went off the board on that one just because there weren't too many others that were great names at the at the number. I mean, I could have gone with Brian Dempster or Craig Kimbrell or Steve Traxel, but Mike Flanagan just had a long time at the at the number forty six with the Orioles and Blue Jays. Just did the things that needed to be done for a starting pitcher. Right. I think he got himself a World Series win too, with that uh, eight that team with Ripken's first year. Yeah. 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 I went with um I went with Andy Pettit from the Yankees, number forty six. He fifteen yep. years he wore number forty six. Three time All Star, five time World Series champ, ALCS MVP, AL win leader. And some people say Hall of Fame, yes, yeah, some people say Hall of Fame no. So we'll see what happens with uh, Andy Pettit. But I picked Andy Andy Pettit and uh you know Tough number there, but um, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can go with number forty-six. Mm-hmm. Right, number forty-seven. Who's the greatest number forty-seven of all time? I went with um, Jack Morris, Mister Clutch in the playoffs, especially. Yeah. Right. He he would eat innings, and if you needed him to go twelve innings, he'd do it. I mean, literally, in that game seven in ninety-one, he went all or all innings and it was scoreless for the longest time yeah that's right he, he was just critical and crucial and did his job you know it's amazing how these guys did all of this because you can't even phantom seeing that stuff now mm-hmm. you know I mean great pitcher Jack Morris and uh, kind of an under under the radar underrated kind of guy Jack Morris um, but certainly a gamer and his time uh, in Major League Baseball, there's no question about it. I had Tom Glavin as the as number 47. I mean, you know, Tom Glavin and Jack Morris. I mean, that's a that's a tough one there. But I went with um, Tom Glavin, ten All Stars, World Series champ, uh, two time Cy Young, World Series MVP. Tom Glavin. I had him. Um, I didn't really have anybody else. Did you? Uh, not really. I mean, I could have picked like a Rod Beck type closer, right. or um, Jesse Orozco, who was a dreaming uh, setup guy, a specialist, or even Lee Smith as a closer. Right. But in the long run, when you look at all those that wore, it was either Jack Morris or Tom Glavin. Right. And we're getting into this era, these these numbers now, where. You know, we're getting into some tough numbers. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of baseball, great baseball players are wearing numbers this high. So uh, we're at a tough spot number-wise, but we're going to get through it. So, Chad, number 48, who's your who's your greatest number 48 of all time? I went with Torrey Hunter. He was a high flyer in center field for the Twins, yep. for the Angels. It's The ball came out there, and it would hang long enough for Torrey Hunter to get out there. Tory Hunter, for sure, many years with Minnesota. Um, another guy that's a gamer, right? I mean, you know, he was always there when you needed something from him. Uh, Tory Hunter. I um, I went with um, I went with one Jacob Degrom. Okay. Call call it early, but this ERA right now is just unbelievable. Maybe having the greatest 
one season that anybody has ever pitched right now. So under the guys, which you did, um, Chad, with Bobby Thickpen, I'm going to do it with the ERA with Tom with uh, Jacob Degrom. Sure. So I'll, I would agree with that. I'll give it to Jacob Degrom. Anybody else here at number 48 you liked besides um, Tony Hunter? I'm with Sam McDowell from the Indians, Giants, Yankees, yep. and Pirates. Sudden Sam see. McDowell, yeah, good yep. choice. Could have gone with Rick Russell. Right. Kung Fu Panda and Paolo Sandoval. <laughs> That's right. Right. Another great name, Bobo Newsom. Mm -hmm. For the New York Giants, 1948 were number uh, 48. Uh huh. Yeah. Or if you want to hear another one, there was Claude Pessoa of the Phillies. Yeah. Or 40. Yep. You had some good 48s. It's just some of them are only there for a short time. Yeah, that's right. Nobody, that's an ugly number. Nobody wants that number. Yeah. All right. So, number 49. The greatest number 49 of all time in Major League Baseball, Chad. Who is it? I went with the Yankee left-hander, Ryan Guidry. Yeah. Just so many years of good pitching and doing the things that they needed him to do. That you couldn't really question that one other than maybe one if you went with them, but I'm going to wait and see what you went with before I say. Yeah, I went with um, I went with um, Ron Guidry as well, also known as Louisiana Lightning. And in 1970, I think it was 1978, was his big year where nobody could hit him. I think he was like 24 and three or something. I don't know if you have that up there, Chad, but he had an amazing season, uh, Ron Guidry, and I believe it was 1978. But the guy, I mean, there was a point, there were certain grooves in him where nobody could hit him. Um, he was something else. Four-time All-Star, two-time World Series champ, five-time Gold Glove, AL Cy Young, two-time wins leader, two-times uh, ERA leader. I'm a Boston Red Sox fan, and I used to go... Back in the day, you know, the Carlton Fisk, Dwight Evans, Jim Rice era, back then to go see uh, the Boston Red Sox play against the New York Yankees. And when when um, when Louisiana Lightning, Ron Guidry was on the mound, he was like unhittable. So mm -hmm. I, I got to give it to him. In 1983, he had 21 complete games. Wow. In 78, he, had, he was 25-3. and 25-3. and three. Okay, I was off one game. He had a 1.74 ERA. Had 16 complete games, 9 shutouts. <laughs> yeah, he was amazing. He really was amazing. Mm-hmm. And they were lucky to have him. They needed him, too, because they needed an yeah. ace, and he filled that void for the Yankees. And without him, they would have never uh, got those World Series. Yeah, he was. He had Cy Young that year, and he was second in the MVP vote. Yeah, just just a great pitcher. Mm -hmm. Anybody else you have at forty nine? Uh, I was thinking uh, Tim Wakefield. Okay. He started out, I believe, at first base for the Pirates. Yeah. Or their position, and then they converted him over to a pitcher when his career just wasn't going anywhere. Right. And what's the deal with 49 and knuckleballers? You got, you meant, you know, you also got Tom Candiotti and Charlie Huff were 49. Yeah, I think it was just because they could keep their arms going longer. And it was just like, you've been around here for a while. And we need to give you a number that's going to stick <laughs> is something that right. high. Right. You pitch, not, you pitch like you're old. We're going to give you an old number. Yeah. You're not going to be our number one starter. So. Right. Yep. Okay. Are we ready for number 50? I am. we got 10 more. 10 more to go. 
that one I went with the son-in-law and the one Digger Phelps. <laughs> Jamie right. Moyer. Jamie Moyer. And maybe the, the Yeah, go ahead. He, he just pitched. Yeah. He was not worried about velocity. He was just worried about location and getting the ball across the plate. Yep. He didn't care if he went 15 and 15 or if he went 14 and 15, as long as he was getting his outs and doing his job. That's right. Longevity was on his side, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think he was almost 50 years old when he retired. <laughs> right. So. One all-star game in 2003. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, like you said, the guy's been around. You know, when you play that long, maybe you deserve to, to carry that number to the greatest of all time with that number. But any other, anybody else you like there? Uh, were you going to name who your number 50 was? My, I'm 50. I'm with you. I'm, I'm uh, Jamie okay. Moyer. Yeah. Okay. The other ones you could have gone with are Adam Wainwright, who pitched, has been number 50 for the Cardinals for a long time. Yep. Been a dominant pitcher over many years. Right. Or the closer that I referenced a couple times before, and Tom Hankey with the uh, Blue Jays, Rangers, and Cardinals. Right. A modern-day 50 would be Mookie Betts. Yep. Or even a Charlie Borton. Yep. And yeah, yeah. J.R. Richard. J.R. Richard. Boy, what a hard thrower he was. And for those that were uh, Mets fans back in the 80s, Sid Fernandez. Sid Fernandez. Fat Sid, number 50, right. And the reason why he's number was number 50 was because I believe he was from Hawaii. So it was Hawaii Five O. Yeah. And then there was also Kent Merker. Right. A lot of, so, lot of, lot of interesting choices there for number 50. Yeah. But Jamie Moyer was the one I went with just yeah, because so of the Yeah, and I think there's a... I think, he, you know, you, you see this thing about, you know, is he going to get in the Hall of Fame? I don't think he is. No. How do you no. get into the Hall of Fame when you got one All-Star game in 2003? You really don't unless you had some kind of a situation where you were breaking some kind of an unexpected record. Right. Yeah. Not the case, though. All right, so we move into 51, right? Yep. The greatest number 51 of all time. Too many to drop, but on this one intro. He just dominated the spot. Trevor once Hoffman? Once, yeah, one thing that handed to it, handed that position by the Marlins with it. And with the Marlins, the Padres, and the Brewers. And then that's yeah. beating out a couple other players that I don't know which one you're going for. So I'm going to wait <laughs> before I'm, but. Okay. I got to go with the big unit, Randy Johnson. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah, Randy Johnson, 10-time All-Star, World Series champ, five Cy Youngs, World Series MVP, uh, Major League wins leader, and the guy has struck out basically everybody. I mean, I think, you know, what a strikeout pitcher. And what an imposing guy on the mound. I mean, the ball, if you're a left hand, I mean, the famous thing is the John Kruk at bat when John yep. Kruk bailed because he saw this guy throwing behind his ear mm-hmm. at over 100 miles an hour. And, uh, I think it was the 93 All Star game in Baltimore. Yeah. Randy yeah. Johnson was something else. I don't know what else to say about the guy. He was the big unit. Yep. And if you had feathers and flew by, you were really careful. Right. He took out a bird in spring training that one time. And a lot of people still ask him about that. Right. And I think what made him, you know, he had he came up with you know, he came up with the expos and then he made his bones, I guess, somewhat in Seattle. 
But even when he was eventually on the Diamondbacks, what a gamer he was. Mm-hmm. But those teams that he was with after the Mariners were put together specifically to help either the organization get on, on a winning way or for him to be able to win titles. Yeah. And each team, he was dominant with them, whether it was the Astros, the Diamondbacks, or even in his late Giants years. Right. And one thing I, I think I need to check on, but I think I might be right on this. At one time, Seattle had Randy Johnson, Ken Griffey Jr., and A-Rod. Yeah. I think it was in their uh, 95 year when they won the wild card. Yeah. And then started really doing things there. Yeah, because I think A-Rod came up when he was 19 with Seattle. Yeah. 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 What a phenom he was when he first came mm-hmm. up. Okay, so what else do you got? Anybody else there? There you got Ichiro. Oh, yeah. Boy, oh, hit boy. Hit the How ball you... wherever. And you, yeah. I think he's the last one to have had 200 hits in a season. Right. And when he retired, I, I liked how they, they retired him. Was having those two games or whatever it was that was in Japan to open the season. Yes. With, with Seattle. Yes. Um, yeah, that was great. That let him finish out at home like that. You right. Know, and there's... He, he knew his career was over because the Marlins weren't using him on a regular basis anymore. And it's like, well, we get this series where we're going to Japan for a couple games. We're bringing you along. You can retire there. Right. So certain guys are consistent, but um, Ichiro Suzuki, he was not only consistent, but he was tremendously consistent. Yeah. And he had a what a great arm he had, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was another one sort of along the same lines as uh, Clemente, who could throw you right. off in the uh, warning track if he needed to. And he was also one of these guys, you know, and there's, a few, there's, only, you know, there's only so many of these guys. Ken Griffey was one of them, Ken Griffey Jr., is that it just looks like the game was easy to him, right? Mm-hmm. We've all seen these guys that look like, I'm playing baseball, you know, this is like this is like easy for me. Yeah. And that's what it, it looked like. It looked like it was easy for him. He also looked like what you would see in softball with the slap hitter. Yes. You would tend to run up on the ball. Yeah. You wouldn't or to come to him, he'd go to it. And that would help him get his speed going already. Right. Be able to get out some of those cheap little bouncers along the line. That's right. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? Bernie Williams of the Yankees. Bernie Williams. That's right. Boy, what a what an underrated guy he was for so many years for the Yankees. Mm. I mean, when I say underrated, not underrated in New York, but like you don't you don't ever really remember Bernie Williams as being like the greatest baseball player in the league. No, but, but he like the, he had his position. He played it well. But he was never going to be the big numbers guy at that position because there was always somebody yeah. better yeah. numbers wise. But he played the position so that the Yankees knew that they had, would have a consistency in the lineup. That's right. And there's one more. Did you pick one more? Well, there's Willie McGee in there, but I didn't really bring yeah. him up because he only had a couple of strong years. And after that, he was just kind of a role player along the line. Right. Willie McGee, right. Fast as heck. Yeah. He's, yeah. on, he's up there, too. All right, we can go to 52 now. Oh, okay. The greatest number 52 of all time. I really only had one, and it was C.C. Sabathia. Right. I'm with you. I mean, yeah, you had guys like Roy Halladay, Ioana Cespedes, Brad Hand, Michael Waka, but C.C., the longevity with that guy. Right. He was always 
the left-hander that he didn't always have the best stuff, but his stuff worked. That's right. It sure did. Six-time All-Star World Series champ, AL Cy, AL CS MVP as well. And one thing I always thought was funny about the guy, he was always wearing the big big baggy jerseys all the time. I like mm-hmm. that, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Because some of these guys, it looks like, man, how does he pitch in that jersey? It's so tight around him. But he, he liked that loose-fitting jersey, CC Sabathia. Yeah. <laughs> and then he went and lost a lot of weight after that, too. Yeah. Towards the Once end. Once he was out of the out of the uniform where he was looking like it was like uh, he allowed his belly to breathe a little bit. Yeah. yeah. He uh, was able to do more. Right. All right. So number 53, Chad, the greatest 53 of all time. There's only one there as well, and that's Don Drysdale. Don Drysdale. Great Dodger pitcher right next to Koufax. Right. Right. Don Drysdale, nine-time All-Star, three-time World Series champ, a Cy Young, um, Major League Baseball wins leader, Three-time strikeout leader, um, Don Drysdale. And like you said, what a one-two punch that was uh, for the Dodgers. And uh, he's he's my choice as well. You know, Bobby Abreu's on that list. but And Bobby Abreu, you know, he's got some great numbers overall. But I got Don Drysdale as the greatest 53. I'm with you on that one. Yeah. I mean, Abreu had good years, but Drysdale had better decades. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to put it. All right, let's move to number 54, the greatest number 54 in Major League Baseball history. Goose Gossage. I mean, that guy came in, he intimidated. And he got his outs. That's right. And, uh, boy, he really made himself into an intimidating closer. You know, when he came up, you know, playing for the White Sox and the Pirates, the guy was a hard thrower. But when he, beca- you know, when he joined the Yankees, he became a dominant closer uh, for the Yankees uh, in those key critical years uh, of the Yankees, winning a couple World Series with them. And he was, he was you know, instrumental in all of it. And like you said, very imposing uh, as well, an imposing guy. And then he went to San Diego and I think ended up pitching in the World Series against the Tigers in 84. Um, I, think Kirk, I think Kirk Gibson wrapped one around the, hit a big home run against him in a World Series. But then he went over to the Cubs, played for the Giants, the Rangers, and the Athletics, and the Mariners. But you know, when you, you talk about Mariano Rivera as the greatest Yankee, or maybe the greatest relief pitcher of all time, but before him, there was Goose Gossage, and Goose Gossage was great. Had those handlebar mustache. The guy just, you know, when I first saw the guy pitch, I couldn't believe it. I'd never seen anybody pitch that hard, that fast. Yeah. You know, you know, him and Nolan Ryan, maybe they were the two fastest guys at the time when those guys were pitching, but... Goose Gossage definitely deserves, a, I think, that... I don't think there's any competition, really, for him at 54. No, I mean, you've got a role as Chapman, who's had a couple of dominant years, but as I said in a prior podcast that we had about the Cubs with yep. their 2016 season, the guy could throw 105 miles an hour, but you didn't know where it was going. Right. That's if right. He, if he could have controlled that, he might be getting talked about as one of the as the greatest closer because he'd be probably like 500 saves by now but he just can't control it right at all that's right and then another gamer you might have is a brad lidge who was a closer for the phillies and nationals and then the astros teams when they were good in the 90s yeah or the right around the the same time as billy wagner that's right and then the gamer and sergio romo yep that's another one yep you got it all right, so we can move to number 55, Chad. Who do you have as the greatest number 55 of all time? 
I went with Tim Lincecum. Tim Lincecum, okay. I mean, he was just unstoppably dominant. He didn't look like he was going to be able to keep the ball in control, but just the way that he threw, he had the best control on it. Yep. He had the windmill kind of look to his pitches, and they were just always in control. Yep. Had that great hairstyle, too. Yeah. It it was like, I was trying to think of a Greek mythology hero that um, had the long hair, but then when he cut it, he was basically dead. He had no strength left or anything. (laughs) And it's kind of like what Tim Linska had when uh, he uh, cut his hair. It's just like, where did his power go? Right, he got the most out of that of that smaller body, didn't he? Yes, he did. He had the hair. I guess the hair looked a little bit like Josh Hader does now. Yeah, you could say that. Yeah, but he had he had what a torque he got on, on his pitches, and he got everything he could out of out of himself, and um, fell off the wagon there towards the end in, in terms of being so dominant. But you know, he was there during those great years with the Giants. Yeah, he was always the one or two starter in that. Along with uh, Barry Zito and Mad Bum and yep. Matt Kane, so yep. you always knew when they had those four, we're going to have a dominant rotation. Right, right. I um I went with Arl Hershiser. I guess maybe because uh, you know I'm a little more I'm a little more era driven there than you yeah. might might be in those in those eighties. But Arl Hershiser, uh, three time All Star, World Series champ, um, Cy Young, World Series MVP, and that was 1988. We're like. Nobody on earth could hit him for some reason. Yeah, he had like 55 or so scoreless innings. Yep, 59 scoreless innings that yeah. year. And nobody nobody can hit him. And in fact, I was playing short score sheet baseball, and it was night, and we had to use 1988 stats. And uh, I had, you know, my first round pick was like, I was picking number five. And the four guys ahead of me started picking. And I'm like, holy, what? Nobody picked Oral Hershiser. Wow, I have Oral Hershiser. So with the number five pick, I picked Oral Hershiser. I ended up winning the league. Nice. Because nobody could hit. I, that was certainly one win I would have um, almost every time with Oral Hershiser. I went and was lucky enough I was picked up a few other pitchers too, like Dave Drabeck. He he was a big pitcher back then too. But nobody could hit. I mean, he killed the Mets. He knocked the Mets. That one of, you know, the Mets had a great team in 1988, but they couldn't hit Oral, Heisha, Oral Hershiser. And uh, the Dodgers went to the World Series and the Mets did not. Primarily because of Hershiser, but also because Mike Sosha killed them. He had a three-run homer in a key game mm-hmm. and uh, destroyed the Mets. So enough yeah. of that, right? Okay, we can go to 56, the greatest number 56 of all time. Mark Burley. The guy could strike you out and he'd have the game done in about two hours or less. Yep, I'm with you with Mark Burley, five-time All-Star World Series champ. Four-time Golden Glove, he pitched a no-hitter. And he pitched a perfect game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, did. Yep. So and definitely. I don't know why they ever traded him. I'm gonna guess they were trying to just get. They figured that they already had the value out of him that they needed. So, with other stuff that was coming up in the in the uh, organization, that Burley was just not gonna be there for what they needed anymore. Yeah. Could be. Uh, any other choices? Uh, the greatest ball four out there in Jim Bouton. That's right, Jim Bowen. If that was a great book, mm-hmm. yep. Um, and then you also had Brian McRae, right? Who's a great uh, leadoff hitter for the Cubs and the Royals. Yes, he was. Uh, Greg Holland, who's 
been a decent closer, but not somebody that you really write home about. Right, he was good when he was on Kansas City for a few years there. Yeah. During the World Series run. Mm-hmm. And then also Fernando Rodney, who's been a journeyman reliever that oh, you can man. always count on for having a good one pitch to get a batter out. But right. then when they went to the, you must face three batters before you're pulled, his career kind of diminished. Yeah. And he wore that hat off to the side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of the Pedro Strope kind of thing, but yep. even worse. Yeah. Yep. Okay, let's go to number 57, Chad, the greatest number 57 of all time. This one I went a little different than I think you probably did. Yeah. But I went with John Smiley of the Pirate. Or well, that's the a good choice. Indians. He was just a, a good, solid left-hander for years. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Uh, Pirates primarily, right? Um, I think more of his better years were like with the Twins and the uh, Indians okay. in the, yeah. in the right. 90s and such. Right. Yep, 57 they went with Johan Santana, Santana four-time All-Star, two-time Cy, um, Major League Baseball win leader, three-time ERA leader, uh, and so forth. They pitched a no-hitter too, Johan Santana, so I uh, went with him. But, you know, John, Sm- uh, John uh, Smiley was a good choice as well. Yeah. And that's over guys like the late great Daryl Kyle, who mm-hmm. unfortunately lost his life in uh, the hotel room in Chicago in that infamous game where it was supposed to be a Fox game of the week. Yeah. And they had Joe Girardi come out and announce that Daryl Kyle had been found in his hotel room that morning. Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah. It, I think that hit people that weren't even Cardinals fans hard. Right. Because it was here's this everyday good guy for baseball, and all of a sudden he's gone. Yep. And we and then, could, we could come up with a list of those those guys too. You know, mm-hmm. you had Thurman Munson. I mean, you had Lyman Bostock from the Minnesota Twins in the seventies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tragic, tragic stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Or even Donnie Moore, who uh, was Donnie the reliever Moore. that gave up that home run in the playoffs, and I think it was '86. Right to to. Uh, Henderson. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then the, I think he's still suspended, or maybe he's on about 12 or 13 times suspension, Steve Howe. Yeah. Oh, boy, you're right, Steve Howe. Yeah. Yep. Or the six-finger man in a, Antonio Alfonseca. Yep, six fingers. The cubby. Mm-hmm. All right, so we'll keep it going. We're almost done here. We're on number 58, the greatest number 58 of all time. There weren't many, but I went with Jonathan Papelbon. Yes, sir. Yep. One of the better closers. Right. Right. Got a World Series championship, too, with the Red Sox. Mm-hmm. Six-time All-Star guy. So, uh, yep. re- really no competition, I don't think, for him. No. I mean, the closest thing you might have got was Doug Fister. <laughs> right. Or Giovanni Soto, but he only right. had, like, one or two years of anything decent. Right. I agree. Okay, we go to number 59. Number 59. Two more to go. Want another closer on this one with Todd Jones. Wow, Todd Just Jones. Just the, the gamer type of reliever there. Yeah. Boy, oh boy, 59 was tough. I didn't even want to pick one, but I, I ended up going with Ismael Valdez. Okay. Yep. Nine years, uh, Dodgers, Cubs, Angels, and San Diego were number 59. And the last number, number 60. So, Chad, this is it. Zero to 60. We did it. Well, we, we finally got to the penultimate here, and 
or the final one, and it's just been a long ride. But you got to go with Dallas Keuchel to finish it out. Yes. I mean, he's he's always dominant when he needs to be, and was always key for those aspects. Right. And lucky for him, he was wearing number sixty. Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about him tonight. And that's because the only other one that I probably would have talked about is the fastest reliever from the bullpen to the mound in Tide Coffee. <laughs> he would run in the, from the mound like he was on fire or somebody was going to shoot him. Right. Because maybe he was afraid that the, the manager would change, him, change his mind. It's quite very possible, actually. <laughs> right. That especially yeah. when it was like a uh, situation where it might have been um, Ned Yost or uh, whoever the Nationals had at the time that he was there. Might have said, yeah, we're going to go to the next guy now. You took too long. It's like, how, how can I take too long? It was here in like 30 seconds. Right. Most relievers, they <laughs> walk out there. Yeah. Maybe a light jog. Yep. Or yep. if you're Mariano Rivera, two minutes just to get out of the bullpen because you got to let us hit a certain part of uh, Inner Sandman before you can walk out. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yep. He's like the, Char- the uh, Pete Rose of relievers. He just didn't run over a catcher and the, the guy's career. That's all. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Ray Fossey. Good one. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we did it, Chad. In under two hours, right? We did it again under two hours. We did make it just under two hours. Right, and we had no breaks. We don't we don't shut the shut the uh, machine down at all. This was two straight hours of uh, us just walking through this from zero to 60, the greatest numbers of all time from zero to 60. But in case you ask, Hey guys, what about 61 to 100? So I pulled out a couple of names here, Chad. I'll throw them out there. And if you got some one-liners, shoot your way, okay? Um, a lot of numbers, we don't have anybody. But 61, I got Livian Hernandez, pitcher for Florida, San Francisco, Montreal, Washington, Arizona, and California. And I think he was a pretty big cog in a World Series victory there for the Florida Marlins. Yes, he was. He he was one of those that if you needed innings, he'd eat them. Yep. And that was, I didn't make a mistake, that was the Florida Marlins back then. Yeah. Not the Miami Marlins. Yeah, he was on that 1997 team. With those great teal jerseys and hats and everything. And I got a teal, you know what, I got, I mentioned earlier in the show I had the Montreal Expo hat. Maybe I need to start wearing that F with the... Uh, with the oh gosh, it's a swordfish, I believe, right? It's a sword going through Mar- the or marlin, yeah. duh, duh. My but my bad, a marlin, of course. With the marlin going through it, yeah, see if anybody are, recognizes I, that. Those are some classic hats. Yeah, and I'll tell you the truth. I was in a grocery store wearing that hat. For some reason, I was dumb enough to wear it during the playoff series against the Cubs, and two guys wanted to basically kill me. It was right after the Bartman thing. I started wearing this yeah. Florida Marlin hat, and, I, and my, my wife goes, what, are you trying to get killed tonight? Yeah, and Balboa, <laughs> that would have been something that could have happened, too. <laughs> yeah. Okay, number 62, I have Jose uh, Quintana. Okay. Not yeah. bad, right? No. Number 66, how can we put forget about this guy, Yasiel Puig? Because he just couldn't stop being out of control. Right. <laughs> he was his own worst enemy. Yeah. If he just played baseball, the guy'd still be great. Mm-hmm. Yep. Number sixty-eight, Dallin Batance. 
reliever for the Mets and the Yankees. Yeah, Batances would be okay if he just would stop being injured. Yep. Yeah, he's always getting injured. Number 72, Mr. Carlton Fisk for the Chicago White Sox. Best catcher the White Sox have had in a long time. Right. And I always had it. I told my friend once when I first saw Carlton Fisk wearing those um, Chicago White Sox jerseys when he first got on the team, I think they had those. Um, that hat that just had SOX on it and that red and blue jersey and stuff. And he looked so big wearing that. Mm-hmm. Um, he might have been also wearing those black and white ones too, but the guy looked so big and he wore number 72. So I gave him a new nickname. Number 72 was William the Refrigerator Perry um, mm-hmm. for the Bears. So I called him uh, Carlton the Refrigerator Fisk because <laughs> he was so darn big wearing number 72. But, um, and the reason why he chose number 72, because it was a reverse of his original number with the uh, Red Sox, which was 27. Yeah. So he just and, did a switcheroo. The way that he was in terms of throwing out base runners, you could have called him the freezer. Yeah, you could have called him the freezer, right? Or the blockade or something. Um, yeah. Number 74, and he's a good one, and he's still pitching, Kenley Jansen. Mm-hmm. Having a great year for the Dodgers this year, number 74. Number 75, Planet Barry Zito. Had the best 12-6 curveball I ever saw. Yeah, he was something. Um, number 79, and, you know, he was on the A's, too. We, you mentioned him on the Giants, but he had some good years with the A's. Number 79, Jose Abreu, first baseman for mm-hmm. the White Sox, right? Had a couple of MVP quality seasons, even won one of the awards. Right. And I'm going to finish it up with number 99, and that is Aaron Judge. Yeah, I mean, he's the quickest to 100 home runs in a career that any player's had. Yep. So. And talk about another guy who's an imposing figure up at the plate, huh? Yeah. I mean, you can't pitch around him. You can't pitch behind him. You can't, you can't really do anything but just throw it up there and hope he doesn't hit you in the head. Right. I think it's a little much when I hear Yankee fans, like, all rise, the judge is up, you know. Yeah. That gets old after a while. Mm-hmm. But that's no knock on him. The, the guy, you know, the guy can really put the ball out of the ballpark. Uh, the Yankees are kind of struggling this year, though. I thought they'd be in first place. Yeah, but, but their pitching rotation, it's been tough for them. Yep, yep. Well, Chad, we did it. We got through it. We, we, we've done it. And uh, once again, great job on this podcast. It's great job as usual. I always expect an A performance uh, out of Chad Lincoln. And once again, he uh, he lived up to it. It, it was an arduous task, but I, I make up for it with knowing, knowing what to do. That's right. You know your stuff for sure. Um, great having you on, Chad. And uh, I'll say goodnight. We'll close the shop up. Sounds like a plan. All right, Chad. Take care. You too. Look at-